podcasts are going to die too. All of them. They're dropping like flies. But we're still here, in your ear, alive and thriving. Welcome to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Now, I understand I have a biased perspective on this podcast, but I just want to say that I I really love the podcast and I want to focus on, there's a lot of reasons, but I want to focus on one reason, and that is some version of what I've expressed before, that I could read books from an author and have that very potent and powerful experience, hopefully and often with our guests, and then get to talk to them immediately afterwards. But what I want to highlight here is something I love and kind of want to give you a heads up on, just a warning. If you're here listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome, by the way. This is You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. And my name is Ned Buskirk, your host. So this is a warning for you that maybe are listening to the show for the first time. If you've come here randomly, or if you're here because of this episode's guest, what I want you to know is I love having these conversations and actually not talking about what these guests probably talk about on most of the shows and podcasts and interviews that they're involved in. And that might seem weird. You're here to to find out more about Alexis and her work, her writing, and maybe how it connects to mortality, but I want to maybe just with our guests, and I would say I credit them and especially Alexis as much as myself for trying to create this version of a conversation, which is that like what is underneath and behind and and maybe not talked about as often um, that's a part of their life and work, but we don't get to hear as much about. And this episode is a really good example of that. I read Dub, I read Undrowned, which I cannot recommend enough, especially, well, really both for different reasons. Dub is such a wonderful meditation on what it means to be in conversation with our ancestors, at least maybe not what it means, but to show what's possible. And it's a it's a confronting request, the invitation of that book to sit with the work Alexis put into being in dialogue and making time and room to be in ancestral relationship. And then, and that's, this is me, by the way, telling you what I feel like the books are and and what they meant to me. So forgive me, Alexis, if I'm I missed the mark, but that is my experience of dub. And then Undrowned really met me where I am at in my work, in the work that we do with our organization. And I cannot recommend that book enough if you are looking to source like Alexis does for you, the marine animal, like other animal life to inspire and inform how we can be alive. Now, I read both those books and really had pages and pages of questions and comments and directions I wanted to go. And then we drop in Alexis and I and just talk about her dad. And it is where I wanted to begin. And we kind of stayed there. 
And like whenever I do an interview, I want to get into a conversation with someone and talk about maybe where I'm at and maybe especially what my heart's carrying and what it might connect to with the person I'm getting interviewed by or who I'm in conversation with. I'd rather do that than talk at length about all the details and logistics around what our organization does and how all that stuff works. And so then hopefully give people an access point to say, hey, I I love how this person is present in this interview. And so then I'm compelled to find out more about what they do and where else they're present with their work. And that's what I feel like this episode with Alexis offers. It offers a really tender, vulnerable, visible, transparent version of Alexis, which my experience so far is that that's who she is in general. But it really gives you the, oh, this human and the tender relationships they have and the way those relationship and and the losses uh, and the grief and the honoring and the work they do, the commitments they have, the intentions, the beliefs, you get that in this conversation we share. And then I recommend just go buy the books. Go check out more of what Alexis is producing and how else they're in the world. Alexis Pauline Gums is a cherished oracle and community-accountable queer black feminist author and scholar. She's a granddaughter of the Anguillian Revolution, an aspirational cousin to all life, an exuberant facilitator, student, mentor, and educator. Devoted listener and multidimensional archivist, Alexis honors black feminism as a spiritual tradition, a political legacy, and a relevant resource for everyone on the planet. Alexis is co-founder of Mobile Homecoming, where she partners with Sangodare to connect generations of LGBTQ black visionaries to each other in a myriad of tangible ways that constitute an experiential archive of sustainable brilliance. Author of Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals, Dub, Finding Ceremony, M-Archive, After the End of the World, and Spill, Scenes of Black Feminist Fugitivity, Alexis is an experimental writer whose textual ceremonies transform her community's sense of possibility. Creative writing editor at Feminist Studies, Writing Matters, series co-editor for Duke University Press, 2020 to 2021, National Humanities Center Fellow, 2022 National Endowment for the Arts Creative Writing Fellow, and 2022 Whiting Award winner in nonfiction, Alexis activates language to connect us to the constant presence of generations of love. If you don't get that from just the bio I just now shared with you, wow. Uh, Big breath. I sincerely hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Alexis Pauline Gums. Alexis Pauline Gums. I'm the daughter of Clyde Gums and my dad and I, um, my dad always talked about me as his greatest birthday gift because our birthdays are, my birthday's a day after his. Oh. And he always told the story of, you know, staying up all night and having like you know, bad hospital coffee, you know, like mm-hmm. all of that <laughs> on his birthday leading up to my birthday. Um, 
But he always appreciated and respected my insistence through the very, very, very long labor that I would indeed have my own birthday mm. um, and not the exact same birthday as him. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, that means some things we, we have the same like astrological sign. We have always had a lot in common and, and it always went both ways. So my dad was a lawyer when I was growing up and I was like, I want to be a lawyer. And I, you know, did the mock trial stuff and all of those things. And then I started writing poetry and then my dad started writing poetry. He says, inspired by me. Mm. Um, so there is a way and honestly, I think this is something that I didn't realize until after my dad passed that one of his great geniuses of being in relationship was that he really immersed himself in whatever the people he loved, loved. Mm-hmm. And he allowed himself to be transformed by that. Like he allowed mm-hmm. himself to be transformed into a poet. When I went on and got my PhD in English and, um, did all my research as a queer black feminist and all my theorizing. He read my dissertation over and over again. He would read the books I was reading for school. And um, he started identifying as a queer black feminist too. because He was like, (laughs) this is the world I want. And I agree with these ideas that you're writing about. And Mm. it really wasn't only me. It was also like, you know, he'd become an expert on any team that my brother was a fan of, you know, mm-hmm. he would, he just like anything that he knew that we were passionate about, he would immerse himself in it as part of his love for, oh, yeah. for us. And I think that's an amazing way to love and to be loved. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I'm like thinking yeah. from a father's perspective, I'm like, oh gosh, right. how, how much more can I learn about Fortnite? I know it's a horrible example, but, <laughs> but you know, it's just, one of those things, you know, yeah. it's like, it, like, you know, there's that, that phrase meeting people where they are and mm. he would really meet me where I was. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's something that I'm really grateful for now after he's passed, because the fact that he would meet me where I was meant, you know, he came to black feminist conferences. Mm. So many of the people in my community who I collaborate with know my dad Mm -hmm. because of that, like actually met him. And now that he has passed away, it's so it's priceless Mm -hmm. that actually I have shared memories of him with people in my community, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not the only one who knows about him when I'm amongst my um, peers and colleagues, you know, and that's a huge, huge gift. And I think, I mean, I know he wanted to be there. He wanted to be part of why I was doing that. I don't know if he had the foresight to understand that would end up allowing our relationship to live in these places in a way that would outlast his life. So I mean, I just want to acknowledge you, you being the person in the little ways I know you, especially through Dub and Undrowned. I would say maybe those aren't little ways. They feel like big ways, but um, that he wouldn't think that or have thought about it as, as 
why he would show up in your lives in those ways for, for you and, and your brother, but that you would end up being someone who would be the kind of person who saw that, you know, and knew that mm-hmm. that was a way to keep that conversation going and, and could see him in others, you know, that, that continued relationship. Uh, but him just being generous in that particular way during his life feels like the, the, the way you get there, you know, being the kind of person you are. Um, mm. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. I, love, I love that reflection. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, it's a by every means type of situation. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My dad passed away in 2016 and he died from prostate cancer and he, it was very uh, painful he was, you know, confined to his bed for the last years of his life, which was really hard, um, especially because one of his great acts of love was showing up, you know, like physically showing up in spaces. And he digitally showed up in all the best ways that he could at that time. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I started to miss him and that aspect of him before he passed away. Um, and there's something, I think he did even more work during that time to thread us together. I mean, he, his last book was called without apology in honor of black women. And he, you know, got advice from like my poetry mentors about the book and <laughs> yeah, you wow. know, some of the first people who read it were like my black feminist mentors. And, oh my gosh. Um, you know, and I wrote the forward for it and that was something that we actually worked on together. Um, and that project was, I think that kind of final way of us getting to be together mm. in in this world that was like, he knew it was a world that was exciting to me. It was a world that was exciting to both of us and emergent. And um, yeah, it's, it's something, it's another thing I'm really grateful for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a powerful thing to leave, you know, um, or inherit or still have, uh, like you said, can I just clarify or ask you to clarify, you said by any means. And and I, it, it seems to me, what you mean by that is that any way you can stay in conversation and dialogue with your father, you're going to take the opportunity. Is that kind yes. of what you meant by that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> got exactly, it. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. And that book is another one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's one mm-hmm. of those ways. And I think, I mean, you're right. I think that it was coming from both directions because um, my dad would buy my sister and I, and maybe my brothers, I don't actually know if he did or not, but he would buy us like socks and shoes when he was literally in his hospital bed. Like he would on his computer buy us socks and shoes that he thought we would like. And um, he even like made me some custom converse with this nickname he had for me, Lexicon. And oh my gosh, you know, I, of course, I always appreciated it. Totally, it does. Um, <laughs> Spot on. And you know, I 
I wear those shoes and it's like, oh, this is such a literal way that he mm. keeps walking with us, you know, mm-hmm. and he literally could not walk when he right. bought us those things. But he at the same time is still walking with us. And he and then every time somebody's like, oh, cool shoes, you know, like they're literally <laughs> They're one of a kind. Like he designed them. Yeah. So like and it really it's literally one of those. I'm not really a sneakerhead, but it's one of those like no one else has these. Yeah, that's you know? right. Um, <laughs> and every time I get to talk about my dad, you know, every time somebody's like, oh, cool. That's shoes. Right. And I'm like, actually, mm. you know, my dad designed them for me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's. So I think he was finding every way, like literally down to socks and shoes mm. to. um hold space for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and to continue to let us know that he would be with us. And when he passed away, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, I didn't know how physically painful my grief would be. Mm. Like, you know, I had heard, I thought it was all metaphorical, you know, like I can't sleep, I can't eat like my Right. Stomach was in knots. It was it was so painful. Um and I didn't I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that that would be the case. Um having experienced other other deaths and other losses, but what I by learned then, by then you had. Yeah. Yeah, by that by then other people who I loved had passed away, but my grandparents, um three of my grandparents had passed away. And one of my grandmothers is still living, which is a huge blessing. She's mm-hmm. about 90, even though actually no one knows how old she is, but that's another story. Oh, um, <laughs> is that your mom's mom? Yeah, my mom's yeah. mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't know how visceral it would be. Mm-hmm. And I now realize that it's almost like, I guess from like a mono output or even it's more than stereo. It's like more than surround sound. It's like mm-hmm. exponential surround sound. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that because he has been in my life, an important part of my life, my entire life, every age of who I am still reaches for him yeah, and misses him in a different way. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, I found that I found that profoundly overwhelming. And at the same time, now I realize that it's actually, it's actually a form of fluency, like polyrhythmic listening that has challenged me to honor all the people I have ever been, or in this sense, like all the daughters I have ever been to him. But also that's like, it's not even like there's one per year, you know, it's like every second (laughs) there's a different version of me (laughs) that was in relationship with him in a slightly Mm -hmm. different way because of Mm -hmm. wherever I was, you know, in my own growth and evolution. And I have to honor her grief. And her mm-hmm. grief and Again. her grief, right? Again. It's like infinitesimal. Again. Yeah. Um, but that also means I have to love myself with that kind of rigor. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's what has changed everything for me. That, that's oh my goodness. One of the major ways that his 
death has shaped my life since that I don't think I could have accessed any other way. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Ooh, I am crying constantly listening to you. <laughs> and I'm okay, by the way, Alexis. <laughs> just, just definitely uh, my expression of, of gratitude and feeling, um, you know, the tears are for me like a measurement for proximity to truth or especially like visibility. And so thanks for such that such a sweet soft offering um of of your father can you say his name again yes clyde elliot gums mm -hmm. <clears throat> named for the poet t.s elliot <laughs> of course and spelled that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah perfect so i i'm i don't want to rush to the next thing i want to say what what maybe is the next um place to go but i also want to make sure, gosh, how many other, with that many grievings, with that many grieving selves, how many directions does such a moment in life like go, uh, maybe even all at once. But the way that feels clear to connect to Undrowned right now is that, and this is, this hopefully is, is a pretty accurate quote of yours. <laughs> I think you said, I never navigated something so big like an ocean. So who knows how to navigate an ocean better than, and, and that feels like the, like maybe moment of understanding that undrowned or the beginning idea of undrowned was a place to go for a lot of reasons, but one to figure out how to deal with this great grief. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's true. You know, it's, it's still, I still marvel at the fact that marine mammals can just live in water and salt water. You know, it, it did feel like all my body fluids, but especially my tears <laughs> and my snot. Oh yeah. Thank you for naming the snot. The snot does not get acknowledgement snot enough. Snot is a major part <laughs> of this whole thing. Um, and it is, you know, it's not cute and it is a thick reality, you know, that <laughs> we are That's navigating right. and, um, I keep muting myself because I am dealing with <laughs> such a reality right. over here. In this very moment, yeah. I mean, me too. I'm like, huh. um, oh, I, you. There's a quote from your your book too. That first, the first quote, and sorry if I kind of paraphrased a little bit on that one to bridge sort of this sharing of this loss to the to your book. But there's also what do you say here? Give me one second. Um, my first marine mammal lesson. Oh, this is good. There's a couple. <laughs> My first marine mammal lesson was that if I breathe, I can still speak even while crying, which I just mm -hmm. feel like is you saying something that I feel. That's part of, I think, our great writers, right? And the great writer that you are is to to tell us how we feel, you know? Not, and I don't mean like... um Hey, you need you need to feel this this way, but like to give us our our feelings and our understanding for our feelings. That's what I felt reading Undrowned was so many versions of that. Yeah, it's 
It is. I mean, it's all those things. It's wet, you know, mm-hmm. it's there. We don't know what's in it, you know, like, yeah. like the ocean. And we don't often have ways to return to our journey with grief and to what grief is teaching us that are, uh, you know, like automatically set up in our culture, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like they're supposed to be closure and then it's literally closed. And, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like I had to learn is, was the difference between my commitment to and my process of honoring my dad, which is really important, but it was the honoring of him, like a public honoring of him and multiple public honorings of him and ongoing ways that I always want to honor him. And my actual journey with my own grief mm-hmm. were two different things, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And I didn't get that. I thought that it could just be all honor. And I, I wished it could be. <laughs> There does come a time when you start putting out episodes every week of a podcast where you just want to give people a break. You want to give yourself a break. You don't want to ask them to do anything. You want them just to be here and be grateful that they are. So you know what this is. Usually there might be some request here, some ask of you, some invitation, but this is just a moment out of one of those precious rare occurrences where I am feeling all the gratitude and none of the what needs to be next, what has to be done, what do we need to accomplish, what does success look like, and it, and just say, wow, what a thing to be just here, to have made it this far in my life, in this work, in our work, with our organization, to be with you. If you only knew all the things it took to get here, What a big deal to just have a moment (laughs) to breathe and not ask anything at all of anybody and just say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to Alexis for saying yes to being on this show. Thank you to all the guests that have said yes, who have offered their time and their hearts, their vulnerability. Thank you to all of you who listen, who keep listening who have supported what we do and have helped us get here. I keep thinking about endings in life. And I wonder, how is this a happy ending right now? If everything ended, how could I say yes? Thank you. We made it. And so this is some version of that. (laughs) As if this was an ending. But there's more to this episode. There's more to hear from Alexis. There's more episodes to come. (laughs) But also, what if this was the end? Could we smile and say, thank you. Yes, we can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
there's so much love. There's mm-hmm. so much gratitude. Right. That's why I have to honor it. And that's why there's all this grief, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be in or as part of my experience. And, but what I found was that I, well, this is the thing. I think I was trying to have a cop out and I was trying <laughs> to yeah. channel all my energy into like the work of honoring mm. and in that honoring being like, I'm okay. And, you know, I'm uh, celebrating and, good. you know, I'm yeah. grateful. And all those things were true. Except, well, actually, I wasn't necessarily okay, though. (laughs) Yeah, everything was true, except. (laughs) Maybe in moments I was okay, but in moments I was not okay. And um, I didn't see, at the time, I didn't see space for that in the public honoring. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there there was a way that my relationship to publicness, especially at that time, um, right when my dad passed away, was one of holding it together, you know, and being contained and actually oversimplifying and basically only saying what I could say because I already understood it. Mm. Whereas I, you know, what grief teaches me is that I really don't understand anything. And, you know, um, I understand less and less and less in (laughs) Each moment, and that, and there's good news to that, but that wasn't what, what I. Is, what is it? What is to share? <laughs> like, What's the good news? The good news is that there's just so much more to learn, you know, mm. and that there's more yeah. depth. And like, I mean, the amazing thing, the most amazing thing about the good news of mm. not knowing what I even feel mm-hmm. around this grief is that I actually have the opportunity to receive love from this relationship with my father mm-hmm. that I didn't even know how to receive uh, when he was alive, when he was alive, mm-hmm. you know, and that I don't know how, how I would have learned the levels of openness. It's just, I become more and more open. I actually become more open to love in general because of this, but it is grounded in this like, Wow. I mean, even some of the things I shared, like I didn't, I didn't know like receiving the gift of shoes was like a legacy <laughs> lifetime yeah, you walking came, together. Came later. With, you know? Yeah. I didn't know how, I, I mean, I'm not the type of person who would have thought I could ever love a pair of shoes so much, you know, um, <laughs> or feel so loved by a pair of shoes. The holding, the life. hug, the hug of your shoes. Yeah, right. totally. You know, mm-hmm. the physicality of it, the mm-hmm. actual support of it mm-hmm. on my journey is I never could have imagined that could be so meaningful. Mm-hmm. And or even going back to memories or, I mean, and, and this is why returning is so important. And so one of my elders, and I'm so grateful for her, Angela Harvey, and she is, she's an award-winning filmmaker. She's like motivational speaker. We met her, uh, my partner and I met her through the Mobile Homecoming Project. We were interviewing mm. Black feminist LGBTQ elders, and she is an amazing person, amazing approach to life. 
Actually, it's her birthday month and she celebrates her birthday all month. <laughs> yeah. Like the first day of the Hell month, yes. she decorates her car, like honk for the birthday girl. And she's like, oh, listen, Angela. her birthday's not until towards the end of the month, but she's like, I'm inviting everyone to celebrate me. Right. That's um, good. And so I'm celebrating her now, but, mm. but the greatest gift that she's given me so far in life and really something that was so important for my grief journey is that about a month after my dad passed um, and what's interesting is that my first like single authored book came out right after my dad passed which um, book is that which is spill mm-hmm. and so he read that book and mm. I'm glad that you know he saw it you know in its form that it exists in now so he's also part of that conversation mm-hmm but I tried to channel all my avoidance of my grief into like book events, right? So I was like, no, I'm celebrating, my book is here and <laughs> I'm gonna just be so busy that I have no time mm-hmm. to feel any feelings. And it didn't work. So yeah. anyone who's also <laughs> trying to try that, it doesn't work. The feelings are still there and they will break you down whatever well, they want. <laughs> that's um, right, they do. But also you could be a person who I just, and just correct me if I'm wrong, I'm projecting myself <laughs> onto you. But this idea of being the kind of person who's so sensitive, who's so maybe like emotionally mature or just like aware of what it, what the feeling is that you just, it's undeniable that that thing is a presence. And I think also sure. there are people in the world who are really adept at numbing that stuff out and putting it away and compartmentalizing it somewhere deep and not that that's healthy always. And maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes it's needed to survive, but Mm -hmm. I'm just wanting to acknowledge that sure your inclination was to, okay, I'm just, this is where I'm putting my attention and your body wouldn't let you or your heart would not quiet, you know, and you can't stop paying attention to those things. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I I do think that there's, like a pre-existing commitment that I have to be present in my life mm-hmm, that right. um, wouldn't allow me to numb in certain ways. Let's say mm-hmm. just use certain methodologies of <laughs> yeah. checking out, which right. you know I've, there, there are actually infinite ones, but the only one I allowed myself was work and mm-hmm. it didn't work. So um, <laughs> especially because of course my dad had already infused himself into my work. And, yeah, totally. Um, but so at one of one of the book events, you mean like you would turn away to the book and be like, okay, dad, I'm focusing on the book and he's in the book. He's like he's a part too. of the book. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I remember that it was actually at a book event here at home in Durham and it was a beautiful book event and it was actually a book party my partner threw for me and um, all of these loved ones and mentors here locally, like my community here at home in Durham all came to celebrate cake, music, dancing, you know, everything. And um, Angie came and she brought me this gift. And the gift was a journal, a special journal, specifically to write to my dad. And she had, she had actually on her own gone on the internet off of like my Facebook page and printed out pictures of me with my dad and put them in the front cover, the front inside cover, and wrote me this beautiful message that, you know, the relationship between a parent and a child is 
forever and you should get to communicate every significant moment, you know, including this book party with him in the way that you want. And that journal was such a, I, I mean, of course, it's not like I never imagined I was still in communication with my dad because I was listening for him and I was thinking about, you know, in the writing and I was writing about him. But that journal to write, to be able to write like, dear dad, you know, this is what happened today. And, oh my gosh, you would have loved this or, ah, oh, it really hurt, you know, not being able to share this with you. And, um, my dad was born on a Friday and I decided that every Friday I celebrate his birthday of the week. So mm. of course I can write in a journal <laughs> and now I'm not on that journal. I'm on like, you know, <laughs> I ran out of things in that <laughs> yeah. journal and that was my journal, but, um, <laughs> But I, and of course I can write in it whenever I want to, mm -hmm. but every Friday I definitely write in it. You do. And still. Still. Mm -hmm. And it is so important because just like any relationship, like you come back, mm -hmm. you know, and there's things that I can say now that even last month I wouldn't have been able to say, you know, or there's yeah. aspects of what I feel or what it even means to miss him or what I'm grateful for or what I noticed that no one is ever going to notice all at once mm -hmm. or like in some three month period or something like that. It's like, it's an ongoing continuing journey and it doesn't, um, it's not like it contains the grief. It's like, and so now I only think about my dad once a week, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I still think about him all the time. There's still infinite moments where I like, Oh, I want to call him and tell him this happened or mm. ask him this, you know? Um, I think that's always going to be the case, but it also means that I've made specific space where I really show up to with him, you know, and with his, even if it's just the idea of him and the version of me that shows up when I communicate with him in particular to really be there, you know, be there and be focusing on that relationship and our relationship and also inviting that relationship into my present moment of what's going on with me this week, you know? And, um, you know, sometimes it's a really, you know, full, it's not filled, tear filled, you know, <laughs> experience. And sometimes it's not. And, yeah. um, but it's, I can never be, I can, I mean, I, I'm gonna just have to keep trying, you know, forever to express my gratitude for how generous it was for her to give me that, you know, like, to, and to, it's almost like her permission to directly be in conversation and to have a special place as just for that. It really supported me to be present in a way that I mean, I am in the practice of creating ceremonies for myself, you know, and I've created all sorts of ceremonies since. And I've written poems for every photo of me and my dad in the photo albums, you know, mm. all of it. Um, but that gift 
was definitive. It was definitive in being able to have an intentional and reflective and supported, accompanied grief journey. That is also, it's, you know, like the shoreline, right? Like the waves come back and come back and come back. And it's a different shoreline because of those waves every single day and every single moment. And I actually need to also honor that by coming back and coming back and coming back, not to try to put myself in the feeling that I, of grief that I had last year, but just to be present with this is where I am now. And this is what I miss right now. This is what I want to say right now. This is what I'm grateful for right now. And yeah, it, and nobody ever has to see it. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's different from writing that I do. That's like, Oh, well maybe this is a poem and I'll share it on my website and sure. whatever. Nobody, nobody, you know, like not even other family members, nobody has read anything that's in those journals. Right. Um, and it's important for me, especially as somebody who writes as a way of being in the world mm -hmm. to have that space of writing that is, completely just for my own process and for my own relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think especially worth noting that it's not you, it's not something you just keep for yourself that it's shared with the, the person it's supposed to be shared with, which is your yeah. dad, <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. like as an accent on y'all, we can still be in these conversations. And, and I, I just want to acknowledge any listener that the part of me can relate to, which is like, I don't know where my mom is, you know, like, I don't know how she's anywhere that can be receiving these words or being in the conversation. And I guess I want to hear your version of a response to that. Mine is always, well, you don't have to know that, you know, it's like that you're making time when I say, Hey, everyone come into this event space and we're going to take a moment just to name our dead and know that we don't need to think about ghosts like lining up at the door or spirits right. ascending or any of that you can, if you want, but that even just the act of we are with them in thought, in naming, in language, uh, and for your example, like in words and writing, like that's the act, that's the being together. And if we open ourselves up to the simplicity of that and with regularity, there is an ongoing conversation. And we get to discover maybe later more of what it means to know how they're still in the world or where they are now and how they are where they are. Um, that's my, that's my response to a listener maybe who's feeling that way, but I'm wondering if you have any more to add about, about that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that the focus of our intention is real and our energy is real. And of course, yeah, it's a great mystery. I mean, some people have explained it. Obviously there's all the spiritual traditions and, and all the religions um, and many theories of the afterlife. And I don't know, you know, but mm -hmm. I do know, I do know that it's possible to be present across anything, mm. including death. Mm -hmm. It's possible to be present mm. across not knowing, you know, ancestors whose names I'll never know. It's still possible to be present with that energy 
somehow. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of my life is about finding, okay, well, how is it through poetry? Is it through just meditating and visualizing? Is it through research? You know, all of those things are parts of those ceremonies of being able to be present and understanding that everything that seems like a separation, full stop, a total separation, it's, it's not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and then maybe it should be a mystery, right? And that, mm. that's part, that's part mm-hmm. of what pulls me. Yeah. But I do know that the approach of receptivity, you know, like really listening and being willing to receive those forms of presence. And, you know, I'm like that, like a certain song yeah. comes on and it's like my dad's favorite song. And I'm Listen, like, okay, yeah. I'm listening. Yeah, you know? totally. Like I'm, I'm receptive to that. Yeah. And sure. It could be a coincidence. And of course he's not the only person who ever liked that song, you know, that exists <laughs> in the world, but you don't got to figure same, all that out or make it I don't need more. Than, yeah, it exactly. I have my own connection, right. Mm-hmm. To what comes up for me mm-hmm. and my own memories and, um, and my own extrapolations from knowing him of, okay, well, what if I brought that to this moment? You know, what could that mean? What kind of guidance could that offer me? Or what kind of relief could that offer me of just in this moment being like, oh my gosh, that song, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that the thing about it is that receptivity is still a vulnerability you know, it's still an openness to feelings that I, I won't be able to predict in advance. Um, but that's like, that's the reason I say, you know, there's good news is <laughs> that that's what relationship is. You know, like I think about my partner and like, why do I why do I organize my life to to live with this person and like to be around them all the time? It's because I don't even know what they're going to bring out of me. You know, Mm, I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. Like what is she going to say tomorrow Mm -hmm. that changes who, who I am or that just, just feels some certain way that I haven't even ever felt before. And that's, that's the beautiful thing, right? And then understanding that even though it's not the same, I still have that even with loved ones who've passed away. There's still a way that I can respond to who they are that's different than anything I've experienced ever before. You know, like that's, there is a dignity in that and there is an infinity in that and there is actually a train going by. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'll, maybe I'll pause for a no, second. No, it's great. But, Let's, uh, <laughs> I don't know why it feels fitting. <laughs> maybe we'll include it. I mean, I, it could be. Cause, Which train comes by you? Where are you? It's a, There's a Amtrak. So mm. I'm here in Durham and there's a, there's a train line. It goes <laughs> like... Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're definitely keeping this. Can we listen for a sec? <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Actually. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I love the sound of the train, but Me too. you know, I also want to honor <laughs> the sound quality of the podcast, but yeah, it's, <laughs> thank you. It's, um, mm. 
there is something about the train, you know, and just about movement and this direction of movement. Um, it's not a coincidence, you know, that the train yeah. is a metaphor used in a lot of writing about mortality mm. um, because it's like the tracks are laid, you know, mm-hmm. and we are moving in one direction <laughs> and it's, um, and there is actually a set destination <laughs> yeah. and there's something really resonant about mm-hmm. this train that's like singing out that fact. Thanks again to Alexis. You can go to Alexis Pauline Gum's website at alexispauline.com. And as usual, I'll put that link in the show notes. Definitely, especially just to give you something to focus on for a next action around Alexis's work in the world. And that would be buy a copy of Undrowned as soon as possible. I was wondering if you had read Undrowned. Yeah, I was just so touched by it and suggested that we talk to her and I'm so glad that she responded to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always so glad when an author is as intelligent and kind as you would hope as you're reading the book mm-hmm. and that the conversation just sounds like it picks up, you know, right where the book <laughs> left off, you know, mm-hmm. e- even if you're not like talking about the same subjects of the book necessarily, but just the that the voice is consistent, you know, like that. It's just yeah. like, oh, you just sound like yourself. I know that's like a small thing, but. <laughs> I, I I totally agree. And I don't think it's a small thing. I think we want people to be real behind these public images. You want to know that any intimate connection, any dropping in conversation is going to somehow represent something you believed in, like the heart of what you believed in when you read their work. Cause I think what you're describing is this sense we have for someone's authenticity, their integrity, their heartfelt commitment to what they say they're committed to like love, like Alexis, I think often you read in some of the books and, and certainly from her bio is this commitment to love. And of course you want them to be that kind of person when you meet them in these other contexts or, yeah. So I totally, totally relate to that and I think it's a big deal. I was listening to the interview and editing it and just kind of with half my brain, not even thinking about it. I just started going to a website where I could design my own sneakers (laughs) because I was like, what a great idea. I never considered like designing your own sneakers, but of course. Did did you find one? (laughs) Yeah. I just started making a sneaker with butterflies on it because I was like, I want that. I want to like have. cool. I love that. And maybe I'll make one for. I don't know, Otis or something. Yeah, right. Like as a gift. I <laughs> but what, love a, that. what a great expression. I never considered that. Mm-hmm. But she's right. I'm just then you're just I love that. Of just anytime someone compliments 
something that someone gave you who, who has passed away, what a gift that is to just, mm -hmm. it, it's like without even knowing it, they, they might even just be a stranger, but without mm -hmm. even knowing it, they're just saying like, I love your dad or something, you know? Yeah. I thought that was so beautiful. I said something like the hug of the shoes, but what I'm thinking of now is when Alexis is walking in those, that it's her dad, the palms of his hands, almost like <laughs> holding her souls, you know? Yeah. Um, that's cool. Uh, well, I wanted to, but there's something I wanted to say about, about, about the conversation real quick before, before I love a little bit of an update from you and where you're at in Alaska and why we don't talk at all about undrowned and how it came into the world. We touch a little bit on it and I don't know how much you kept in the episode for how we acknowledge that her beginning, at least one thing I heard her say in a online video that I found in another interview was that she said she needed to, she felt like she was in an ocean with her grief. And so who else to go and ask for help, but the, the beings that live in that context. Mm -hmm. And that was a version of the beginning of the book. And I think what started happening is she would post these things on social media, the chapters, you know, what the content is for each of these. And it ended up that I think Adrian Marie Brown might've reached out, but emergent strategy, let me see if I got that right. Um, yeah. Emergent strategy series, uh, publications, put this collection of all those posts out from her social media posts and, and just a little bit of background into how it really does connect to her writing to have such a deep conversation about her dad and to bet probably somehow it seems like a lot of people connected to her because of those posts, um, over the last many years. Um, so maybe that's one way you connected to her, but just gave me a chance to kind of articulate a little bit about how the writing came into the world with that book. Yeah. And I mean, it connects to me being in Alaska where the mm -hmm. nature and the wildlife is so integrated or, mm -hmm. or I don't know, maybe that's not the right word, but just so present. And there's such a reminder of it. I mean, yeah, just like in a half an hour ago, I looked out this window and there's just a moose walking down the street <laughs> and they just, they yeah. just kind of walk like they're like <laughs> delivering mail or something, you know, like they're just a part of the city. Totally. Like, like the, as common as like seeing a mailman, you'll just see a moose walking down and they're just sort of, I guess, looking uh, for like little willow branches or something, you know, in the mm -hmm. winter. And I, I'm sure they're not always peaceful. I know they can be aggressive, but generally like what I've seen is just, they're just this enormous creature that's just mm -hmm. like walking through the city, mm -hmm. you know, and people slow their cars down and take a photo and stuff, but it's just the idea of learning from animals, I think is something I didn't grow up with, like growing up in a city, growing up uh, apart from nature. I never thought about like, what can you learn just from ob observation of how an animal adjusts to an environment, mm -hmm. like how, how they're different from humans, how, how you breathe underwater, you know, mm -hmm. and lessons for your own life in, in how animals act. And it's just such a more present thing here. The other thing I got to do, I was very lucky. My uh, I got to run with sled dogs at the start of the Iditarod. <laughs> my friend is uh, oh my that I'm gosh. staying with. We went there to the start in downtown Anchorage, and uh, they were talking to somebody who runs a mushing team, and they were just like, "Hey, we need a couple of volunteers. Can you like grab a leash and like walk oh, help us sweet. walk our dogs up to the?" And they're all like so excited. They're all barking mm -hmm. and they're all like pulling because that's what they love to do is just run and pull the sled. So you actually have to like hold them back to like 
wait for the actual start to go. But just running through downtown Anchorage for a few blocks with these teams of dogs while crowds all around are like cheering you on <laughs> was this amazing moment. And I just oh, wanted yeah. to keep going. I just wanted to be part of the team and just run yeah. with them, you know, just jump, <laughs> jump on one, ride it like a horse. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. I, I feel like my trip to Alaska was animal populated really. Like if I talk about it, it's the bears, it's the bald eagles, it's the whales. Um, and certainly there was, also just being in relationship with human beings that live in that context and having a real <clears throat> experience of uh, maybe a different kind of energy to someone who's that close to nature and in that much cold and maybe in that much dark more often than say someone from California yeah. feeling during certain seasons, <laughs> maybe when it's warmer thinking, Oh, I'd love to live here. I could do this. <laughs> and knowing that that's like a blink of an eye when it's nice weather and the rest mm -hmm. is just dark and cold. And, mm -hmm. but the animal presence, I love that connection. And you're there mm -hmm. doing your tea, um, readings and music, right? Yeah. Which has a different impact on people who have just gone through a lot of darkness. It's funny. I, I, came here and I'm like doing these shows in this cabin. And part of it is that I changed the color of the lighting. And so like we will sit in like blue light or red light for an hour, but that only works if like there's no other sunlight coming in. And I didn't realize actually how much sunlight there is. <laughs> I just assumed like, Oh, Alaska in March, it's going to be dark. And so I've had to like block <laughs> out putting blankets and towels in the windows to oh, like block yeah. out the sunlight so oh, that I can gosh. then change the color. And I feel kind of bad that like these people have just gotten through this winter and finally getting some light and I'm blocking it all <laughs> Making out. Making them be in the dark. But I think that because of that experience, and someone was telling me this, a local saying like, I think we're just more sensitive to light here in, mm. in good ways. Mm -hmm. Like we just feel it more because it's always changing. And, mm. you know, if you are working outside and not looking at the clock and just going by the light and it's like two weeks later than the last time you did that, you'll be like two hours late for something because you didn't even realize like how late it goes, you know, mm. and, and how, how quickly it changes. So yeah. it's been really cool to experience it with people here because of uh, getting to present that well for people that just have a different sensitivity, like literally to light. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. I love that you're there. And I just hope the rest of your trip is so meaningful and, and just like you hope it could be and get everything you need out of it and give everything people need. And yeah, just have a really sweet rest of your time there. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Nick. Thanks for your work on this episode. Thanks again to Alexis and thank you everybody for listening Again, can't say it enough. So glad you're here. So good to be in your ear. Until next time. Bye-bye.